Okay. Um, so for roughly the next uh, 50 minutes or so, 45, 50 minutes, um, I'd like to offer uh, some, for me, real nugget practices that are really central to grappling with the first noble truth. And these practices are informed by some understanding about the brain, but I won't, in the interest of time, go deeply into that part. Uh, there are a lot of resources on wisebrain.org. You can see about that part. Um, that said, I'm going to really focus on skillful means. All right. So to begin, one of the things that struck me, that has struck me over the years, is uh, it's kind of like uh, the old saying, the most important thing is to remember the most important thing. <laughs> right? Or a variation on that is embedded in the silly but profound little joke, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one. But the light bulb has to want to change. <laughs> right? So step one is to actually be enough on one's own side that one wants to do something about suffering. Otherwise, we're just stuck there. And even though that may seem obvious, uh, it's been really eye-opening for me to discover the degrees to which that actually for many people, it's not close to home to be on their own side, to be for themselves. Right? That doesn't mean being against others. It means having kind of the, a basic, I think of it as like a generic stance at a minimum, you know, an entry level of giving oneself the same standards of fair play, basic goodwill, basic encouragement, basic kindness that one would give literally to a stranger 10,000 miles away or certainly to a good friend or a pet or, or you know, someone one cares about. Um, and then beyond that, to really recognize that in a very deep and moral way, the person, uh, how can I put it, as our power goes up, so does our moral duty to someone, whether it's to a child or to a patient or to someone who's losing their capacities and so forth. Well, who's the one person on the planet that we have the greatest power over? It's our future self. That one. The one I will be tomorrow. The one you will be next week. The one you will be you know, 10, 20, however many years from now, right? So for starters here with regard to that, um, I uh, encourage you to bring to mind or open to an experience of what it's like to be for something or somebody. Start with something outside yourself. Maybe it's the giants, okay? <laughs> It really takes something to move me to pay attention to baseball, which is like watching grass grow a lot of the time. But <laughs> the Giants have done it this year. So. Anyway, maybe it's uh, someone you're for. Like uh, I just talked with my wife about our, our cat who's ill but is getting better. But, you know, I'm for my cat, right? Who are you for? Maybe it's a cause you're for. Maybe it's a, uh, a person in your life you're for. You're on the side of that one. Uh, you're for them. So if you could just take a moment and be mindful of what's that like as an experience. You know, as Ajahn Sumedho says, it's like this, right? What is it like to be for something or someone?
And you might play around even with intensifying it, like maybe bringing to mind um, the intensity of being an advocate or an ally for something, someone or some cause. Maybe feel it in your body, a strengthening in your chest or a intensification in your gaze, linebacker eyes, you know, whatever. Just what is that for you? you know, Gandalf at the bridge, right? bar door, this you will not pass. What is that for you? As you do this, really sense and intend that this experience, this state of body and emotion and being is sinking into you. This quality of of advocacy, strength, determination for something. You're on its side. It can count on you. You're committed. Again, take a moment to be mindful of what's this state like to be for something wholesome and good, for the good. Embedded in it may well be a realism about what you can do and what you can't do. Not an unrealistic, guilt-inducing, unattainable standard for yourself, but a very real, I'm for you, I'm going to keep plugging. We may not win here, but it's not going to be for lack of intention and effort. And now, let's explore bringing that same attitude of I'm on your side to how about yourself as a little kid? Imagine a memory or a photograph or a story perhaps of yourself as a little kid, vulnerable, young, not perfect, no halo needed, runny noses, puppy dog tails, pranks, what have you, and you know, see what it's like to explore a stance, maybe combined with words in your own mind, like, I'm on your side, kiddo. I'm for you. As in any practice, sometimes what surfaces is an obstruction. In other words, you're trying to do something that makes sense in your mind, and it's hard. Or nothing will ignite, like trying to make a fire with wet wood. Uh, Or maybe something comes up like you think of yourself as a kid and being on the side of yourself, um, shame or feelings of inadequacy or or, that it would be vain or selfish somehow to be for yourself. 
And as with any obstruction, be aware of it. And then as you can, as a kind of concentration practice, gently move the spotlight of attention back to whatever it is you're, you're pursuing, which in this case is the feeling of being on the side of that young version of yourself. And then last, see what it might be like to bring all this into the present. See what it might be like to experience right here and right now a sense of, you know, being for yourself. In other words, reaccessing that feeling in your body, that emotional state, that attitude, that kind of posture even, sitting up straighter maybe, feeling those, some strength in your arms, being for yourself now uh, with the difficulties that you're facing. See if you can find a place that's not tense. Sometimes we tighten up when we're for ourselves. I think of the the four words of the Dharma that I probably think about more often than any other. It's the Buddha's description of of a dedicated practitioner as one who is ardent, which means heartfelt, ardent, diligent, resolute, and mindful. That's the quality here. That's the feeling of being on one's own side being ardent, diligent, resolute, and mindful. And then finishing up, as, a, as before, sense that this state is sinking into you, of being for yourself, wishing yourself well, even as you sink into it. Sensing and intending that this attitude, this feeling of being on your own side is being woven into the fabric of your brain, your body, your being. Becoming a a deepening resource and refuge you can take with you wherever you go. Okay, come on back, and it's really okay to keep, re, you know, remembering or locating um, this this uh, feeling or state or stance uh, of being for yourself, and deepening the trace of it literally in neural memory systems, so that you can find your way back to it again. I think of a, a lot of. Um, Teachings in life are based in fairy tales, and if I think of this as you know, leaving a trail of crumbs, so you can find your way back to a resource state, a wholesome state of mind. Okay, and then building on this, now I'd like to use um, this as an example of a very important general principle here 
which is the whole idea of taking in the good. In other words, as, um, as you may have heard Ricker or I uh, say uh, in the past, um, you know, the home base really of the brain uh, and the whole body in terms of evolution is really good. In other words, when people are not upset or disturbed or starving or assaulted or chemically disturbed, they tend to default to a fundamental resting state just in terms of pure biology, nothing esoteric or fancy yet, um, that is calm, contented, and caring. The three C's, calm, contented, and caring. That's the resting state. But Mother Nature also evolved hair trigger systems that drive us from home. A kind of inner homelessness when we feel threatened or in pain or ill or often dealing with the hard things. Right? And at that point, we tend to tip into a reactive way of being. It's a kind of inner homelessness. You know, we've lost our home. We've lost our roots. We've got to find our way home again. And so the brain, in part, has a kind of negativity bias that it really remembers uh, pain. It really remembers upset. It really remembers misfortune. What, even though positive events are much more common, actually, in most people's lives, they have less impact. And from a survival standpoint, they have less impact, you know, in keeping you alive to pass on your genes. You know, carrots and sticks, right? If you don't get a carrot today, you'll probably have a chance of one tomorrow. But in the Serengeti, if you miss a stick today, if you fail to avoid a stick today, wapola, no more carrots forever, right? So that's why it's extremely important. You know, uh, we have these positive experiences. Even when we're dealing with difficulties and afflictions and pain and depression and, and worry and um, freaking out about people we love who are deteriorating in front of our eyes um, or our own bodies, etc. Um, you know, even when we have norm, well, even when we have good experiences, right? They tend to just go right through the brain because the brain doesn't transfer information from short-term storage to long-term storage under normal conditions unless you hold it in short-term storage for 15, 30 seconds, a, few do a dozen or more seconds in a row. But painful experiences go right into deep storage. The brain's like Velcro for negative experiences, but Teflon for positive ones, really. So that means that even if we have good experiences, they tend to go right through like water through a sieve. But Negative experiences have dedicated, specialized neural systems that grab onto them. Once burned, twice shy, right? Because that's a great way to pass on your genes. It's lousy for quality of life, right? But Mother Nature doesn't care about quality of life. She cares about gene copies. So um, what are we going to do? Because we're on our own side. There's a lot we can do. And that mainly, our one pre preeminent practice, is to take in the good. In other words, in life, when good things happen, really take that extra 10, 20, 30 seconds in a row as a kind of mindfulness practice to open up to, first of all, let the good fact become a good experience, first step. Second, really hang out with it, relish it, savor it, stay with it. It's actually a kind of concentration practice. You know, Neurons that fire together wire together, but they do so especially for what's in the field of awareness and they especially, especially do it for what's under the spotlight of attention. Right? Attention sucks those resources into the brain. Right? So if we pay focused attention as a kind of concentration practice, 
for half a minute or so in a row to anything that's positive, mildly positive. Most, thing, most positive things are mildly or subtly positive, gently positive. Even so, we're then pulling resources into ourselves. Okay? So when you, for a moment, a moment ago, a little while ago, were doing that practice around being on your own side, and you know we're opening to it and staying with it, and then in the third step, um, sensing and intending that it really sink into you, you are actually building a little bit of good neural structure, good resources for yourself. So um, outside this workshop, you know, I really commend to you the practice of being like a vacuum cleaner for good stuff. You know, don't leave any money on the table. Uh, when, when good things happen, you've worked hard, you've prepared a meal, you know, bring a big spoon. Lots of times good things happen, right? We don't take a minute. We go, oh, yeah, mm, and on. Or we notice it for three seconds, five seconds. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Nice. And then, what about my shopping list? Or that weird email I've got to deal with before I leave town, right? Uh, Ba-boom. And the problem is, it, that good thing didn't have enough time to transfer into long-term storage. It needs those 15 to 30 seconds of really hanging out with it. Okay. So, that's a practice I commend to you outside of here. I think it's true for everybody. It's especially true for people dealing with hard things. So what are the good things? There are all kinds of good facts. It's not about rose-colored glasses or Pollyanna, although Pollyanna rocks, actually. I, I went back and someone corrected me about Pollyanna. I was being a little dismissive about that. No, she really was great. You know, it's really Pollyanna rocks. But anyway, um, my point is that um, it's about seeing real good facts. So there are different kinds of good facts. You know, there are good events. Someone's nice to you, something good happens. Relief is a good fact. You got through another day without your head exploding, right? That's a good day. <laughs> you got the kids to bed, or you got, you know, put more distance between the train wreck of you and your childhood, you know, or the train wreck of your childhood, more distance between you and it. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. Another is uh, noticing good qualities in yourself. That's a really important, good fact to open up to the feeling. You know, one thing that happens when people, are tested by the hard things is that their good qualities really start coming forward. Yes, people sometimes act badly in a moment here and there dealing with a hard thing. Of course we do. You know, I, I'm thinking here of a, of a kind of a famous statue. Um, you may know that uh, pillars in Greek um, uh, temples sometimes were carved out of human beings who are holding up the roof, as it were, of this heavy thing. And there's a famous statue called, they were called karyatids. The fallen karyatid, a female figure who's obviously far too slender and delicate to be holding up this weight, who's like being pressed down by it. Right? That's life. That's dukkha. That's suffering. That's the hard things. That's our circumstances. Of course we bend. Of course we crack sometimes. Of course we have a bad day. Doesn't mean we've lost our vote. You know, doesn't mean we don't blink our eyes, go, wow, that <laughs> was a horrible day, or wow, I really lost it there. Uh, okay. What's good for me from this moment forward? You know, that's all we can do, really. Can't control the past at all. All we can do is focus on the next moment forward. What can I do? And at that point, we start looking again for the good. And one of the main sources of good is the recognition of our own good qualities dealing with these hard things. So 
last point is about this is that today here, I really encourage you to take that extra 10, 20, 30 seconds, you know. Um, be like the little kid who really, you know, wants to get every last little chocolate chip there on the table. You know, you see that little hand reaching up to the counter, and it's just more chocolate chips. So when someone's nice to you or makes eye contact or smiles or there's a moment of relief or just simply what it feels like to take a breath, a breath has a good feeling. Or if you notice that you're actually all right right now, it's okay right now. Or, you know, I'm not dead yet. That's good news. (laughs) Right? Whatever it is. Okay, there it is. So then with that as a foundation, I'd like to talk about self-compassion and do a practice about that. So we're familiar with compassion. You know, compassion officially is the wish that beings not suffer. That's its primary element. It's a wish. So even if we don't feel too much, we can be compassionate. It's, it's an intention, if you will, a wish, a sincere wish that beings not suffer. It's usually combined with a feeling of kind of tender concern. Sympathetic concern. All right. In principle, we can imply compassion to ourselves as well as to others. Um, yet that's often quite hard for people. Even though much research has been showing lately, because self-compassion is a hot area of research, that it's very powerful to bring self-compassion, to bring compassion to oneself. Much of the research, for example, on the benefits of self-esteem boils down to the benefits of self-compassion. I think in large part because compassion is emotional, generally. It's physical, whereas self-esteem can be kind of conceptual. I've known a number of people who could give you a long list of their good qualities, right, who feel awful about themselves, you know, right? It's got to get down here. So I want to take you through a bit of a practice. It'll be about a 15-minute kind of a guided reflection. Uh, as with all practices, uh, my own and everyone else's here, uh, you know, take good care of yourself. Um, as you may have heard me say, you know, yes, there's typically more value the further into the deep end of the pool you go. But on the other hand, please be careful and make sure you can swim back yourself today. Right? This is not therapy. It's not a group encounter. There are three of us. There are a lot of you. You know, take good care of yourself. Okay? As the Buddha said, be a light unto yourself. Uh, okay? So, so feel free to adapt my instructions or suggestions to your own needs. Take good care of yourself here. So let's begin. Um, And as I said also, uh, it's natural to hit obstructions. If you do, try to be with them, hold them in awareness for, uh, you know, some amount of time, a few seconds, a minute or two. And then, as you can, bring that spotlight of attention back to what might feel more productive to you, in this moment at least. Okay. So if you could just take a big breath. Now a long exhalation. And then three more times, take a quick inhalation to fill your lungs, and then hold the inhalation for about three seconds or five seconds, and then exhale slowly to an internal count of ten, and do that three times. Good. 
keep relaxing. As a detail, that little practice there is very powerful in activating the parasympathetic wing of the nervous system, which does resting and digesting and rest, uh, restoration, uh, uh, replenishment, refueling. Is the, the parasympathetic nervous system is a major part of that. Obviously, when we're dealing with hard things, which, off, which usually include a fair amount of stress and upset, um, it's so important to try to come back to that home base which, uh, of, for which the parasympathetic nervous system is a key part. It handles exhaling. So when you take a very full breath and hold it, that really starts waking up the parasympathetic nervous system to get ready to exhale. And then if you stay with a long exhalation to a count of 10, say, that um, really sustains parasympathetic activation. It's really hard to be a, you know, how can I put it, if the stress needle the needle on your stress meter is at a 7 or an 8, and you do 3 to 10 long exhalations the way we just did here, it's really hard for that needle not to drop down to a 3 or a 4, or maybe even less. Okay. So with that as a basis, bring to mind um, a memory or a sense of being with someone who you know cares about you. It could be someone in your life today or in your past. It could be a human being or a, an animal companion or a spiritual entity. Just think of someone that you know, you're sure, wishes you well. The relationship may not be perfect, but you know deep down this person or even a group of people or beings uh, likes you or respects you or cares about you maybe even loves you. They wish you well. They would not wish you to suffer. And now, open to the feeling of being cared about from this or these beings. And as you can, take in this good. In other words, first, let the knowing that you are cared about become an experience of being cared about. Second, really relish this experience. Sink into it as you can. Open to it as you can. And third, all the while sense and intend that it is sinking into you. Feeling cared about. It's okay to move attention to other beings. You might even scan your your life, your world, maybe perhaps the number of people that each of whom gives you, or number of beings, each of whom gives you this feeling of being cared about.
And second, still hopefully kind of marinating as you can in feeling cared about in its various forms or shades or flavors, bring to mind someone that you care about. It's easy for you to feel compassion for. And then find your way into feeling compassion for this person. Maybe combined with soft thoughts in your mind like, may you not suffer. May this pain end. May these tough times pass for you. You can explore this compassion, of course, for more than one person. And all the while, be mindful of what what this experience is like. What's it like to feel compassion in the body, in the heart, in the mind? doing the three steps of taking in the good with compassion. In other words, letting the intention to be compassionate become an experience. And then second, savor the experience of compassion. Let it fill you as much as possible. Let it be big and lasting and intense as it can. Let it pervade you, as the Buddha said. Let it pervade your mind in all six directions. Left, right, front, back, above and below. And then third, as you sink into compassion, it is sinking into you. Now the third step, grounded in the feeling of compassion, the thought and wishing of compassion, bring to mind a young version of you and explore extending compassion to that person, you as a child, let's say. Maybe thinking of yourself during a particularly tough patch for yourself as a kid. And staying centered in compassion for that younger you. 
may be combined with thoughts in your mind like, may you not suffer. You might imagine yourself whispering into that child's ear somehow. Other thoughts that might be appropriate for you like, may you know that it's not your fault. May you know that this pain will pass. May you know that it's them, not you. May you know that so many things that are good will come to you in the days ahead. then staying in touch with compassion, take a moment to bring to mind two other difficult times in your life up to the present. In other words, prior to the present, two other tough times or challenges or or major losses or sorrows or breakdowns uh, or misfortune of the younger version of yourself and taking a moment with each one of them, see what it's like to extend compassion to that younger version of you who's still layered in your mind and brain and body today. Maybe combined with thoughts that are targeted specifically for what you were facing those two previous times in your life before the present. Not getting sucked into the memories of the trauma or the story, but staying with compassion as the dominant, preeminent feeling and attitude and content in your mind.
and then coming up to the present moment. And exploring compassion for yourself right now. Maybe touching some pain or sorrow or difficulty or worry you have right now. Maybe a frustration. It could be small or it could be enormous. See if you can bring compassion to yourself right now. Again, maybe combined with soft thoughts in your mind like whatever this pain is, may I not suffer it as well. Whatever this difficulty is, may I not suffer it as well. All the while, letting the feeling of compassion sink into you, taking in this good. And then imagining yourself over the next year or so, perhaps facing certain known challenges around the bend or just knowing that stuff happens, and seeing what it's like to extend good wishes to your future self. Let's say all the way into 2011 and even to the end of next year. Wishing that future self, that future you, not to suffer and to be truly happy. And then imagine the next 10 years or so after that, potentially unfolding, perhaps seeing some things that might come your way over the next dozen years or so, further into the future, and wishing your future self well, sending messages in a bottle, in a way, out to the future. May you not suffer. May you be truly happy. If you like, uh, to deepen this experience, you might put a hand on your heart or a hand on your cheek. Extending love, extending respect, extending 
strength and advocacy and caring to your future self. That one you will be 10 years from now. And then taking it a step further and just imagine time kind of speeding up all the way to the last year of your life and continuing to stay centered and exploring what's it like to extend good wishes to you experiencing the last year of your life. You might see yourself as old and infirm, wishing that future you well. And then going all the way forward, knowing that your future self will someday be having the last day of your life. Can you wish your future self well? Perhaps thoughts like, may you be all right fundamentally, no matter how crazy it is. No matter how bad it gets, at your essence, may you know that you've always been loved. You've always been good. You've always made a difference. Then going further to the last minute of your life, wishing yourself well, having tender concern for your suffering, your pain. And then the last breath. Sending love, courage, even joy to your future self having her or his last breath. And if you like, exploring extending that same good wishing 
all the way through the last breath and into the mystery beyond. So, Andy, we can turn it off now. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.